Alexander Badgett, and you're listening to The Bankster Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to the fascinating and the ever more consequential world of central banking. Now, when the idea for the Central Verse Q&A segment came to mind, I thought I would use it occasionally when an especially interesting question arose or if I found a fun bit of information that uh, that might not fit a longer story-like format that I had been using as the regular format for the episode. Um, however, as evidenced by the title of today's episode, I'm now on the third version or the third round of Central Verse Q&A. It has turned out to be an excellent format to share insights into the workings of the Fed and why they matter today. But before we jump into the two questions for round three, I do want to reiterate a recommendation that I first gave clear back in episode four of season one of the Bankster podcast. For longtime listeners, that that was the episode where I described the gold held by the Federal Reserve. I won't repeat the story of the Fed's gold reserve here. You should go back and listen to episode four again to get the whole story. However, I actually had a chance last week to visit the gold vaults in the sub-basement of the New York Federal Reserve Bank, deep in the bedrock of Manhattan. It was a phenomenal trip for my wife and me. And to see the piles and piles of bright gold bars stacked behind the turquoise-colored metal bars was something I will never forget. So next time you're in downtown Manhattan, I really recommend stopping by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and getting a tour of the gold vaults in the sub-basement. And one more PSA while I'm on the topic of Federal Reserve buildings. The Chicago Architecture Foundation does an open house weekend in the Windy City every October. Hundreds of skyscrapers, antique mansions, houses of worship, and other interesting buildings that are normally closed to the public are opened for just one weekend. It's free, and in the city that gave birth to modern architecture, it's a great reason to come to Chicago. Period. But on top of that, the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago is one of the buildings that opens its doors. You have to go through enough checkpoints and scanners you feel like you're at the airport, but if you don't mind a pass through the heightened security, you can see the beautiful Great Hall of the oldest building still in use by the Federal Reserve today. Okay, enough announcement. Let's dive into those Centralverse Q&As. Question number one, who is in the running for chair of the Federal Reserve? Background to question number one. On Friday, September 29th, Trump told reporters that, quote, I've had four meetings for Fed chairman and I'll make be making a decision over the next two or three weeks. Close quote. Well, the release of this podcast is Friday, October the 13th. Also, my parents' anniversary. Happy 29 years, mom and dad. May you celebrate at least two more sets of 29. Uh, Anyways, today is exactly two weeks from Trump's statement. And although it doesn't look like we're within days of the announcement, Trump rarely actually delivers on his this will happen in two weeks promises. Uh, But there are talks and statements about who is in the running and the nomination 
will have to come pretty soon because the new chair will begin his or her four-year term in February of 2018. So with that, I'll give a short and a long answer to the question, who are these potential Fed chair candidates? Short answer. And I'm just going to list them out here with uh, their name and then a brief, brief description of why they might be considered for Fed chair. So, number one, and these aren't necessarily ranked in any kind of order. Uh, But the first one is Janet Yellen. She is the current chair. She could be reappointed for another four-year term. The second is Jerome Powell. He is another governor that currently sits on the board of governors. Kevin Warsh, who was a former governor of the Federal Reserve System. He was a governor during the financial crisis and served as a bridge between the Wall, Wall Street and the Fed. Uh, pretty controversial, in fact, of the list of candidates I'm uh, sharing with you today. He's one of the the more controversial based on his background and history. Um, Gary Cohn is another one. He certainly currently serves as the president, uh, as Donald Trump's economic council director. And then finally, uh, the fifth candidate is John Taylor, who is the current Stanford, uh, uh, Stanford economics professor. Uh, he's the one, if you'll remember from a previous Uh, Bankster podcast episode. He's the one that wrote the famous mathematical formula for monetary policy. Okay, on to the long answer. Now for this question's long answer, I'm actually going to refer everyone to the show notes where I have a link to an excellent article that provides the perfect long answer to this question. See, large news organizations and universities, most notably the Wall Street Journal Bloomberg News, and the University of Chicago occasionally conduct surveys of economists' viewpoints on current political and economic events. Bloomberg has done four surveys asking the same group of economists who they believe Trump will choose as the chair of the Federal Reserve. Now, important to note that this is not who they think should be the Federal Reserve chair or who would be the best candidate for Federal Reserve Chair, but rather, who do they think Trump will actually nominate? Um, The article has excellent two-paragraph summaries of the life and work of each of the candidates, all five that I listed uh, um, just barely, as well as another eight uh, that have a much smaller uh, probability of being selected, but nonetheless have been mentioned as potential future nominations. Uh, They also have a really fun graphic that shows how the economists' views have changed over the last five months pertaining to these candidates. So you can see who has increased in likelihood and who has dropped off. Uh, And then below the infographic is where you can read the bios of each. Uh, I'd say the the whole article you could consume in in about 10 to 15 minutes, and it really gives you just the right amount of depth of information about each of the candidates, as well as a great visualization of how likely they are to be nominated. Now, as I mentioned, to get a nice, concise summary of each 
episode, including links to all of the great resources that I use creating each episode, head over to my website, www.thebanksterpodcast.com, and sign up for the show notes. I only send one email per episode, and it's sent at the same time the podcast is released. It's a great way to take just one step further into the central verse. Okay, and on to question number two. Now that I've given a brief introduction of the candidate, it begs the question, what does the chair of the Federal Reserve actually do? Okay, short answer, or in this case, the short list, followed by a long list. Uh, On the short list, uh, the Federal Reserve chair leads the monetary policy efforts of the United States Central Bank. Okay, so that manipulation of interest rates to try and get the economy to grow if the economy is struggling or to keep a lid on the economy if it's overheating and inflation is a threat. Uh, The monetary policy has two goals that Congress has uh, dictated that the Fed follow. Goal number one is to maximize employment And goal number two is to keep prices stable. Okay, so that is the role of monetary policy. Uh, Second is the Fed chair has to report to both the Senate and the House of Congress twice a year. Okay, so four visits to Capitol Hill in two segments. Um, The chair also meets regularly with the Treasury Secretary. Uh, is number three. Number four, uh, the Fed chair sits on a number of different intergovernmental councils that coordinate regulatory and supervisory efforts. Okay, so you've got a bunch of different regulators and there are overlaps and there are gaps in responsibilities. Uh, so in order to help in those situations, And in order to make sure that everything is being covered and that somebody's looking at the bigger picture, uh, there are these councils set up where the heads of these different regulatory agencies, whether it's the NCUA, which is the National Credit Union Administration, or the uh, FDIC, which, as you know, runs the insurance on deposits, all the heads of a bunch of those groups get together and and talk about what is going on. So the Federal Reserve Chair is a big player in those councils. Okay, the next one is the the Federal Reserve Chair serves as a figurehead. I was trying to come up with a uh, a better word, but that was the most uh, accurate term I could come up with to describe the. The, the position of Fed chair. So it, it serves, she serves as figurehead of the employees of the Federal Reserve System, which includes the 12 reserve banks and the Board of Governors. Finally, the Fed chair also works with leaders of foreign central banks during times of panic. We saw this in great detail during and of great importance during the financial crisis. Okay, so those are uh, six uh, short answer descriptions. Now on to the long answer. And I'm going to take a step back uh, before we dive into a little bit more detail on each of those points for the long answer. Uh, the Federal Reserve Chair 
has to be chosen from one of the seven governor positions. And I've mentioned this in recent podcasts, but I want to reiterate it because it's an important point. So if all seven of the positions on the board of governors were filled, then the president would have to choose one of the current governors to serve as chair. However, there are many vacancies. Uh, in fact, uh, Quarles was just confirmed, so they're, they're back to four uh, governors, but there are still three spots open. So President Trump could nominate somebody completely new to be a governor and simultaneously choose that person to serve as the chair. Uh, now, a governor's position is 14 years, plus... If this governor is replacing a governor that hadn't finished his or her 14-year term, then they get their amount of time as well. So if Governor A serves for six years and then and then retires, then the governor that replaces that, that governor could finish the eight years to get him to 14 and then go another 14 years for a total of 22 That's like what Alan Greenspan did and why he was able to serve for so long because he was filling somebody else's position and then was able to do his own 14-year term. Um, So the governors serve for a very long time. And if you remember from the independent episodes from from season one, their reason behind that was to keep the Federal Reserve from becoming too political and having too much short-term political influence on monetary policy. So that's how long the governor's positions are. However, the Fed chair only serves for four years. And that four years can be reappointed. So Ben Bernanke served for four years, and then he was reappointed and served for another four years. And then he retired. Janet Yellen so far has only served four years, so since her 14-year term isn't up yet, she could be reappointed again. And hopefully that makes sense on how Fed Chair is chosen. Now, on to those intergovernmental agencies that I was referring to. I'm going to mention here in the long answer just two of those agencies. And the first is the what's called the FSOC, the F-S-O-C, which stands for the Financial Stability Oversight Council. Now, this was created after the financial crisis and panic of 07, 08, and 09, the Great Recession. One of the problems during the financial crisis was no one truly understood how all of these different entities, both the financial entities uh, that were under that were banks that were credit unions that were uh, regular corporations that were acting like banks new tech companies that were uh, providing loans as if they were a bank all of these different new types of banking activity that wasn't under the supervision of one group these entities caused a lot of confusion And when markets all froze up, part of the problem was, should we let one agency or one entity fail, a bank fail, or an auto manufacturer fail? 
a problem in making that decision was that we didn't know how all of these different entities were connected. If AIG, which ended up getting a huge bailout uh, from the government uh, with help from the Federal Reserve, uh, if they had fallen, we didn't know what the consequences would be because no one was keeping track of that. So part of the Dodd-Frank uh, Financial Reform Act of 2010 was creating this this council, the FSOC council. Uh, they One of their jobs would be to define uh, significant uh, uh, financial institutions. Uh, so systemically important financial institution. They go by the nickname SIFI, S-I-F-I. Uh, so that's one of the uh, the the Federal Reserve chair sits on that council and helps decide which entities, whether they're a bank officially or whether they're not, uh, this council has the ability to designate them as a systemically important financial institution. And then if an entity gets that designation, then they have to follow a lot of new regulations and they have to hold more capital and there's a lot more oversight. So that's one of the councils. Another council is called the FFIEC, which stands for the Federal Financial Institutions Examination Council. Now, uh, their big job is to collect information and store it in one spot from all of these different institutions, from credit unions, from Fed-regulated banks, OCC-regulated banks, uh, state regulators regulate different banks. We have all these different regulators. The FFIEC, what it does is it takes all the financial data from all of these different entities and then compiles it together into one resource. It also makes it so that there's not overlap. So if a bank is regulated by the OCC and it's also regulated by the Federal Reserve, uh, it helps so that they don't have to report the same information to these two regulators. They can report it one time to the FFIEC, and then all of the regulatory agencies have access to that information. So those are just two examples of councils that the Federal Reserve Chair serves on that try and coordinate with the other regulators in the country. Very important and actually not very frequently mentioned role of the Federal Reserve Chair. Okay. Now, uh, another fun detail about the the regular meetings that the chair has with the Treasury Secretary. Um, the complete schedule and calendar of the Federal Reserve Chair is actually publicly available. And it's in a phenomenal infographic produced by the Wall Street Journal's Central Banking Pro Team. Uh, they use a Freedom of Information Act request uh, every year uh, to get access to the chair's entire schedule. So it, it's actually really fun to scroll through the, the infographic and see how the most powerful woman in the world spends her afternoons. It's a, it's a great infographic. And again, I will link to that in the show notes. So don't forget to go to thebanksterpodcast.com to sign up for those. And the most important role of the Federal Reserve Chair is running the Federal Open Market Committee, the FOMC. And we've talked about them also in the podcast, but the chair 
sets the agenda for those meetings. Those are the meetings where they vote on whether to increase interest rates, leave the interest rates be, or lower interest rates. So that committee has 12 voting members in every meeting. So, But not every member is necessarily created equal because it's actually the chair that gets to decide what's on the agenda, the agenda of that meeting. The chair also gets to decide what the vote is on. So the Fed chair gets to decide at that meeting after everyone has talked and expressed their views and opinions about the current economy. Uh, the Fed chair says, okay, I propose that we raise interest rates. Then everybody around the committee gets to vote on the chair's uh, suggestion for monetary policy. And the chair is very, very, very rarely overturned. So that's a very important role uh, that the chair has sitting on the finance, uh, on the uh, uh, Federal Open Market Committee. The chair also, in conducting monetary policy, policy, helps decide if there are extra measures that need to be taken in order to simulate the economy. A few examples of that are the quantitative easing, where the Fed put huge and huge amounts of money out into the economy in the trillions of dollars. Uh, the Fed chair gets to decide, okay, are we going to uh, lower the the balance sheet, which is what we're seeing right now. They get to decide how much money should we swap with foreign governments or, excuse me, with foreign central banks. They get to decide how much emergency lending to do. So the Fed chair has a huge role to play in monetary policy. And finally, the last bit of information I'll add to the long answer is about the work with international central bankers. I can't emphasize enough uh, how important this role has become in the last decade since the financial crisis. And I want to make a plug for a book that I have mentioned before on the podcast called The Alchemist, Three Central Bankers and a World on Fire. Uh, the book tells the in-depth story of the relationship between Ben Bernanke, chair of the Federal Reserve here in the United States, Jean-Claude Trichet, uh, the president of the European Central Bank and Mervyn King, uh, uh, governor of the uh, and head of the uh, Bank of England, and how they worked together to try and uh, mitigate the collapsing global economy during the uh, financial crisis of 07 through 09. And that concludes the third round of Central vs. Q&A. Now, whether Trump announces his pick for the next chair this afternoon, next week, or in months to come, you'll now be familiar with the name and a tiny bit of background info about the chosen nominee. Then, when that nominee, assuming they are confirmed by the Senate, begins his or her term in February of next year, you'll know a little bit more about them and, even more importantly, the responsibilities that they have over the national economy. If you have any questions you'd like answered on the podcast, send them in. As always, I can be reached for comments, feedback, or questions on Twitter or via my website, www.thebanksterpodcast.com. Today's episode was written, edited, and produced by me, Alexander Badgett. Thanks to all of you for listening, and I'll see you next time on The Bankster Podcast. Bankster Podcast.